evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. Peter Rohn is one of the finest musicians in America. Growing up in the shadows of the green pastures of Harvard University, he came under the folk spell of the Cambridge, Massachusetts folk scene in the late 50s and early 1960s. In 1965, at the ripe old age of 23, he became the lead singer of Bill Monroe's legendary Bluegrass Boys. He relocated to California and in the early 1970s played with his brothers in the Rowan Brothers and along with David Grisman and Jerry Garcia formed the Bluegrass Ensemble Old and in the Way. Peter and I talked about many of these things and all of the great players he had a chance to meet and play with along the way in an interview that took place on April 15th in the lobby of a downtown Minneapolis hotel. Later that evening, Peter did a guest appearance with the jam band The Big Woo at First Avenue. We are also going to listen to some tracks off Peter's new record, My Aloha, a collection of Hawaiian-influenced original songs on the Omnivore Record imprint. Peter, what a pleasure it is to meet you. I've been listening to you since the early 70s. Well, oh, thank you very much. You, you came on my radar uh, when I tracked down the New Riders version of Panama Red, that great song you wrote. Right, right. And then I read about you. Jerry Garcia mentioned the Rowan Brothers right. in an interview in Rolling Stone. That's right. Those are my two brothers, Christopher and Lauren. And uh, they had uh, come out to the West Coast, uh, I guess, in the late 60s, early 70s with Dave Grisman. Grisman and I had been in a, been in a band called Earth Opera, working with Electra Records. and uh, Jack Holtzman? Yeah, Jack Holtzman. And uh, um, Grisman had brought my brothers out to California <clears throat> and they uh, it was a big awakening for them they were Lauren was 17 wow Chris was like 20 21 and a half and I, I of course was uh, 20, about 26 myself at the time so they came west out to Stinson Beach and I left the band Sea Train and kind of wanted to get out there too the vibe was was right you know the thing about touring with a band like Sea Train is, you know, you, it, it's it's a crackerjack band. You know, it's like tight. It's incredible. The rush of playing on stage was uh, was amazing because we rehearsed every day. And who was in that band, Peter? Andy Kulberg from the Blues Project. Sure. And um, a couple of different people, but uh, Larry Adamaniuk ended up as a drummer. He had placed replaced Levon Helm in the Hawks. Up in Toronto, Larry Adamaniuk. He was. Uh, he's still. He's down in Nashville, and he. Uh, I got him down to Nashville. He ended up playing with Sam Bush, and then being part of Emmy Lou Harris's uh, hot out, outfit. No, not the Hot Band, but uh, the Nash Ramblers. Wow. Them. Yeah. So I. Um, the band finally came together. You know, with uh, Larry as drummer, Richard Green. On fiddle, and Richard had been in the Bluegrass Boys with me down in Nashville with Bill Monroe, Lloyd Baskin on keyboards, uh, Andy Kohlberg on bass, Larry on uh, on drums, and and Richard on fiddle. And I had managed to get Richard into the Bill Monroe band because the the way Monroe was working at that time was just slightly haphazard, but he was very loyal to the people that he had. Um, and um, but it, not everybody lasts a long time with Bill, and uh, he he's a very exacting band leader. And of course, his his lifestyle was a little bit erratic at the time too. Um, you know, on the the bus that wasn't in good repair and breaking down all the time. It was a hazard to work for. Right, really. right. But I finally got. But Richard. an honor at the yeah, same oh, time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I got Richard in the band, and so. The Bill Monroe band from uh, 64 through 66 was uh, myself, Richard Green, Lamar Greer on banjo, and uh, James Monroe on bass. Uh, so we, Richard and I did quite a few projects after that, including one called Mule Skinner that we did when I finally got out to the West Coast. I mean, kind of, this is kind of a circular history uh, cycle of, of uh, 
collaborations and things. But um, uh, my brothers had got out, and Columbia Records wanted them, and Grisman uh, hired, was friends with Garcia and got Garcia involved. And Garcia played on a lot of the stuff. Um, for some reason, he wasn't on the <clears throat> master recordings, I don't think. I mean, he might have played pedal steel on a couple of things. Uh, but Dave, you know, the classic situation, Dave Grisman being the producer, you know, it was like, where, where are the tapes? Where are the tapes? You know, so I was gone and on and on. Finally, they got loose and, uh, you know, before the record was released, uh, Garcia had said in Rolling Stone that he thought that Rowan Brothers had basically the, the excitement of the Beatles in their vocals. Right. He was talking about music. Right. Well, the record company took that and did a poster of, of my brothers, um, two young guys, good-looking guys, and it said, <laughs> the quote was from Garcia in, in Hollywood. It said, they're, they're like the Beatles, they're that good. <laughs> and, and of course, that's just the kiss of death in the music business. Right, right, right. It's just like, what a burden to have to, you know. But the, it's like being the next Bob Dylan. Yeah, to be the next anything. <laughs> right. And, uh, but what but I remember that, Peter, that, excuse me for jumping in. For some reason, I remember reading that, which is why I started to track you guys down. And Garcia kind of described the sound as bright and shiny. Yeah. Right? They got a bright, what they meant was the vocal sound. Right. Was a bright and shiny harmony, mm -hmm. two brothers' harmony. They could sing well together. And so, uh, yeah, that's. I, I, and I kind of came in on the heels of that, you know, and it was like, oh God, the older brother's here, right? <laughs> and I was going through my mountain yogi stage, and I was like very unkempt and uh, kind of uh, um, iconoclastic, you know, um, somewhere between being a neophyte. Uh, Tibetan Himalayan Buddhist and uh, a rock and roll, you know, guitar player, and uh, and the call to go back to the original sound of bluegrass was very strong. So Dave Grisman and I in those days would get together out there at Stinson Beach in the morning. We'd drink coffee and smoke a lot of dope and and play acoustic guitar and mandolin, and that was a lot. A lot of uh, sound and a lot of fun. Barefoot, you know, it was uh, the last hurrah of childhood in you know, late right. 20s. And uh, one day he said, you know, Garcia's just up the hill and he'd, he'd like to get together. He'd like to play bluegrass. He'd like to play some banjo. So we, we ended up going up to Jerry's house almost every day, every evening, and just playing, going through the songbooks. You know, Grisman is an archivist. I mean, he had all these old songbooks. The Stanley Brothers, Red Allen, uh, Bill Clifton songbook. You know, and all these great old songs that spring really from the Victorian era. You know, they they emerged upon the world in uh, in, in the United States about the 1920s and 1930s. But it's really Victorian parlor music, mm -hmm. a strumming ukulele guitar music. And bluegrass kind of higher powered it up, right? And um, Monroe always had a bass player to kind of pump things up. And uh, Bill Monroe spent a lot of time in New Orleans picking up on the jazz and blues. It wasn't like he listened to records. But he stayed in New Orleans for a while when he first got his own band. Now, him and Charlie played the Carolinas and Georgia, Tennessee. That was their territory, him and his brother, the duet. But once his brother and he split up, uh, they, he, Charlie left his younger brother Bill with, with the sedan and huh. left him in Memphis and really? said, now you can have everything west of here, but my territory is back here, you know, <laughs> back in the, the southeast. Wow. So Bill, I mean, he was really adventuresome, and he, he, held, he held auditions in, uh, in, a, <clears throat> in a city park, a, 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 a local park in Memphis, where he was camped. He was camped there. So, I mean, he knew, he knew what it was to start over. You know, start with a fire wow. and have people come and pick, right? And he went, and after that, he was in Memphis, so he went down to New Orleans. Really? This is not in the history books. This is no, Bill Monroe's personal. I'm loving it. This is Bill's personal uh, uh, stories to me, what he did. Because I used to ask him questions, and 
because I was coached by uh, Ralph Rinsler, who was a great folklorist and mandolin player, managed Doc Watson, managed Bill Monroe, and worked for the... Brought Smith- a lot of those guys to Greenwich. Like Smithsonian Folklife. Yeah. He, in fact, uh, Ralph's apartment on West 4th Street was our headquarters up in New York. Huh. Yeah, he went down to New Orleans, and that's where he picked up a lot of uh, the the music that influenced his uh, his bluegrass. And um, he always said to me, I've had to keep as much out of bluegrass as I put in it. And so he was very choice. But if you listen to his that's mandolin a, that's playing... That's a brilliant quote. <laughs> yeah. If you listen to Monroe's mandolin playing, his his mandolin solos on the blues, like uh, Rocky Road Blues and all this stuff, um, it, it, it's blue. It's not it's right. not old-time mountain major melodies that he played with his brother. source of the Twin Cities Gay Scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com The local advertisers you hear on AM 950 are the lifeblood of the station. If you find yourself regularly tuning in, or if you appreciate the diversity of content we deliver, please take the time to support our advertisers. Even if it's just to thank them for backing AM 950, your voice and support can go a long way. Help keep the station going strong while investing in our local community. Find the complete list of on-air supporters by visiting the advertisers page at am950radio.com. That's am950radio.com. Supporting the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities has never been easier. You'll find an expansive list of local dining options at eatlocalminnesota.com. From classic American comfort food to authentic flavors from around the world. Cafe Latte offers made-from-scratch soups, salads, sandwiches, and mouth-watering desserts. Stop in the wine bar and enjoy a unique pizza loaded with fresh vegetables and perfectly roasted meats. Over 30 wines by the glass, Cafe Latte highlights Washington State wines and is the perfect destination for date night or an evening with friends. 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul. Victor's 1959 Cafe has been serving South Minneapolis traditional Cuban food for over 15 years. Victor's is open for breakfast and lunch daily and now accepts dinner reservations, too. Stop in and try the Pollo Tropicale or the Sandwich Cubano, which was featured on Food Network. More at EatLocalMinnesota.com. On September 28th, the University of Minnesota Center for Spirituality and Healing is offering a half-day mindfulness meditation retreat, which is open to those who have never practiced mindfulness and those who are daily practitioners. The mindfulness meditation retreat invites you to intentionally step away from daily routines and the busyness of everyday life for the purpose of renewal. Enjoy guided instruction from a skilled mindfulness teacher, city meditation, and gentle mindful movement. Space is limited. Register now at csh.umn.edu. Seward Co-op, serving the community for nearly 45 years, invites you to shop their two convenient locations, both offering the strong commitment to local producers and healthy foods you've come to expect. Seward focuses on locally grown and raised products, fair trade, and environmental sustainability. Shop their selection of meats, artisan cheeses, and house-made baked goods. Find Seward at 2823 East Franklin Avenue or the Friendship Store on 38th Street and 3rd Avenue in Minneapolis. More at seward.coo. Welcome back to Set 2, the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. 
our guest, Peter Rowan, talking about the father of bluegrass, Mr. Bill Monroe. And, uh, of course, he played his cards close to his chest, and you never give away your secrets. Right. You know, but he was the only guy who had the blues in his music. I mean, to the degree where the blues were leading his tones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he brought in Earl Scruggs, who's a kind of a very major kind of player, a major key player with a, those four-string, five-string banjo with a droning fifth string. Uh, but the So you had like an eight-string mandolin, a five-string banjo, a six-string guitar, a four-string bass, Right? You have all these combinations that are all in basically the same... Like a piano. European tuning, but what you could do is voice them differently. And Bill played these high blues uh, solos uh, that are uh, actually what a barrel house piano player would be playing hmm. with his right hand on the high keys. And he just, he just worked with that. And uh, I did ask him, I said... He said a man could hear any kind of music down there at that time, and I went. Mm-hmm. And what, yeah. year, what year would that have been? That would have been, uh, let's see, about in the uh, the actual bluegrass as it hit the Opry was 1948. So he left his brother, I think, earlier 42. He he still had a career. Uh, he was on the Opry. So okay, if it, if 25 years on the Grand Ole Opry was 1965. So, 1940. Yeah. So it would have been 40, late 30s, 40, that he went wow. down there with his brother, uh, with his new band forming down there in, in New Orleans. And uh, he said, uh, I said, what kind of influence, I mean, what did you hear there? You know, late at night riding the bus, this old rickety, this bus through the night, you know. And he would talk. But, you know, I'd sit and listen to him play. And then, and then just kind of like, Ease into a conversation with him because there, somebody said you don't don't ask Bill all these questions. And I think it's partly that you don't reveal your secrets. In those days, you you know you he wasn't a folklorist where he was going. You know, but later on he spoke about the blues all the time. You know, he said, "Yeah, the blues have been a big part of my music." And he had a black uh, when he played with his as a kid when he played with his uncle. He had a black man playing a guitar named Arnold Schultz. And so there was all built, and, and Bill took up, um, oh, this great harmonica player from Nashville but t- toured with Bill. So he always had a black guy in the band. Right. Yeah, yeah. Was that D. Ford Bailey? Yeah, D. Ford Bailey yeah. playing harmonica. And, I mean, they backed D. Ford and D. Ford. You know, I mean, people don't think of that. And, uh, like, Bill... Bill said you had uh, you had jump time, you had sock time, you know you had uh, the ragging the time, which I think means just kind of just syncopating the beat a whole lot. And you had he said and you had the slow drag, and I never had heard of the slow drag before he said that. And uh, there's even people in New Orleans of the last generation or so, so you know slow drag somebody. It right. just meant that they could play that. Down, real down, raggy, slow, right. funky time, right. and I think where you hear it in in the bluegrass was uh, on tunes like uh, uh, well, in the pines. I think in the pines is the crossover tune. I, I first heard it by Lead Belly, and uh, then I sang it with Bill Monroe. So mm-hmm. it's always been one of my favorite. Uh, you know, deep old dark southern blues. There's a great story, Peter. There was, uh, of course, Minneapolis has had a great uh, folk history of which Dylan and Kern Rank Glover came out of. Right. There was a guy named Lyle Lachman who passed away a couple of years ago. And he was part of the group that used to sponsor people like Bill Monroe and Elizabeth Cotton and sure. those folks that did wherever the, the gig was in town. And I saw a picture of after one of the shows, they'd kind of mix and match the artists, and it was Bill Monroe jamming with Elizabeth Cotton in a kitchen. You've seen a picture of that? Yeah. Yeah. From, it was after one of the shows that the Lofkins put on, and I just, uh, it was a phenomenal picture. Yeah. Well, I once, uh, we're playing the Guthrie Center, I think that's up here. Somewhere. Yeah, the Guthrie Theater. And uh, uh, who's Immense Lipscomb was on the show. Right. 
And uh, we, we were was back- that with Bill? Yeah, we were backstage, and uh, I asked if, if, if I, I was so naive. I, I should have sung a song myself and just had those guys play on it backstage. But I asked them if they would play together, and they didn't know what to do. Right. Well, and then it's just like, duh. I mean, these guys are so enmeshed in their own style. Right. Um, but they were there. They were present, you know. Right. And so I sang a little something, you know. And uh, it wasn't like an epiphany at all. It was like those two guys just playing their notes very sensitively, very gingerly. Right. It wasn't like, oh, here we go. Right. Nowadays, everybody thinks, we're jamming, man. Right, We're playing as many notes as we can play. Right. No, these guys were very, they left a lot of space. Right. But it was was real. It was real. It was kind of like... The slow drag. What do they call that? Yeah, it was kind of the the slow drag. What do they call that? Bearding the goat or something? Okay. Where you... You, you take the obvious and then you make it redundant by trying to do it. Just gild the lily. You, you know, gilding well, the lily. A little but bit. I like bearding the goat, though, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess what I thought in those days, being all hyped up in about the 60s, and that something cosmic would be come out of the combination... But what came out of the combination was total respect for each other. Right. They just really laid it way back there. Nobody tried to play a solo. And not only that, you know, Manson knew what he knew and Bill knew what he knew. Right. And it just like they respected what each other did more than they wanted to be part of right. creating something in the moment. But that's kind of like, in a way though, Peter, that's where you guys, Clarence White, David Grisman, Jerry Garcia, you took those ideas that were out there in the universe and you really brought them forward. You were the guys that in a way manifested those experiences, in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I, you know, for me, leaving the East Coast where I'm from, going West was, I, I wanted to go to Indian country. And so I went out there to southern Utah, which overlooks the Arizona Monument Valley mm-hmm. and I hung out there for a while and um, I camped out there and I wrote In the Land of the Navajo Beautiful Oh, the wind blows cold on the trail of a buffalo Oh, the wind blows cold in the land of the Navajo Well, a hundred miles from nowhere out on the desert sand One-eyed Jack the trader held some turcos in his hand By his side sat running out his longtime Indian friend He vowed that he would stay by Jack until the bitter end Jack had gambled everything he owned to leave this wandering life he might have had a happy home or a tender loving wife But his hunger was for trading trappers first for turquoise More with musician Peter Rowan on the Wall and Power Radio Hour after these messages. Hi, this is Chad from AM950. Snap Construction is arguably the most well-reviewed roofing, siding, window, and insulation contractor in the metro. Ryan is so excited about working with AM950 and our listeners that he wants to help us grow. This is Ryan, owner of Snap Construction. I was friends with Chad long before I started marketing with him. I was a bit skeptical of radio advertising before Chad convinced us to run ads. The advertising's been so successful, we want to help the station grow. We've absolutely loved working with the listeners of AM950, and we all know how extreme Extremely important this radio station is to the community. To help AM 950 grow this summer, Snap Construction will be putting up proceeds to assist the station in marketing on social media. Snap Construction encourages you to follow, engage, share, and interact on the AM 950 social media platforms. Together, we can all work to ensure AM 950 continues to thrive and grow in our communities. We stand by our work with a lifetime craftsmanship guarantee. For a free estimate or more information on our financing, call 612-333-SNAP or check us out online. 
The number one source of the Twin Cities Gay Scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. Eat fresh and support local farmers by shopping at the Minneapolis Farmer's Market. It's peak time at the Farmer's Market. Lots of sweet corn, eggplants, fresh and local fruits and vegetables, meat and farmstead goods. Keep the summer bounty all year long because it's a great time to pickle and can. Look for the cucumbers, incredible dill, canning tomatoes. The Minneapolis Farmer's Market is open every day, 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. Plus, there's additional locations Tuesdays at the Hennepin County Government Center and Thursdays at Nicollet Mall. More details at mplsfarmersmarket.com. Hello, fellow AM950 listeners. This is Jaja from Nightingale at 26 in Lindale. Come experience our delicious signature dishes and exciting rotation of inventive seasonal fare from my wife and chef, Carrie, and her team. Nightingale is the perfect place to gather for any occasion with our extensive wine, beer, and cocktail selection, along with our dedication to great service. We offer a full menu every day from 4 to 1 a.m., two award-winning daily happy hours, and weekend brunch at 10. More at nightingalempls.com. And now, the worst commercial ever. Hi, I am Justin Galvin, retired athlete from your local ball team. So I know a thing or two about insuring a landscaping business. I trust the pros, commercial auto and business insurance through Progressive. Get customized insurance solutions that'll hit a grand slam home run for you. Are we done? A totally mailed-in celebrity endorsement. Awful. Whereas commercial auto and business insurance through Progressive is anything but. Visit ProgressiveCommercial.com to quote today. Insurance provided in service by Progressive Casualty Insurance Company. It's affiliated in third-party insurers. With your AM950 weather, I'm Sam Turnberg. Tonight's going to be cloudy with a low around 62. Tomorrow's mostly sunny with a high near 80. Monday, mostly sunny with a high near 83. Tuesday, mostly sunny with a high near 84. And Wednesday, chance of storms with a high near 78. Eat Local Minnesota Restaurant of the Week is Cafe Latte. Try their bakery specializing in fresh breads and desserts, including their renowned chocolate turtle cake. Desserts available whole or by the slice. On Victoria and Grand in St. Paul, more details at eatlocalminnesota.com. You're back with the Wall and Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. More with my guest, Peter Rowan. Came a came of age in a very fertile time. Yeah. Joan Baez, Rick Von Schmidt. Eric Von Schmidt, yeah. Is it Betty Siddons? Uh, uh, Betsy Siddons. Yeah, Betsy. She ran the Club 47. Right. But even before that, I mean, those, I was, those kid, those people were 10 years older than I. Right. So I was the a young kid. I was on the periphery, and I came in as a mandolin player, not as a folk singer. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, but the, the interesting thing, there were people around at that time coming and going between the West Coast and the East Coast. It was very mobile. People were, you know, my, I was playing a little rock and roll combo in Boston when I discovered the 47 Club. This Marine that I was do, working on a day job with said, you know, you should go where your people are. And I said, what do you mean? He said, he said, you don't belong doing this. You don't belong here. He said, you, 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 at lunchtime, you play guitar. He said, that's, you know, where your people are. They're over in Harvard Square. <laughs> <laughs> so I started hanging out over there, and I met Jim Rooney, Bill Keith, and Eric Von Schmidt, and everybody. And, um, so was I, Eric Anderson around? At uh, Eric Anderson. But, he, you know, they, they were the real active folkies. They had gigs. They were going to Greenwich Village and coming back up. There was a lot of traffic between Greenwich Village and Boston or Cambridge. Mm-hmm. And um, young and a lot of energy, you know. But we we could hear Sonny Terry and Brown and McGee. Uh, we could hear all the folk singers that came up through Boston. But the, the first show I went to was, uh, even before that, uh, well, not, not that far. When I was 14... Uh, I went to a, a rock and roll show there in, in, in Boston, and I heard Chuck Berry. Hmm. And I guess I got a, a big dose of rock and roll from Chuck Berry. Wow, may rest in peace. Yeah, and, you know, Johnny Burnett Trio were there. Wow. Not only that, a bunch of uh, doo-wop bands were there. And the MC was Joe Smith. Now, Joe Smith was a local DJ, and... 
jumped forward 20 years after that. We signed with Joe Smith and Warner Brothers. And I asked him, I said, where, you know, I, when I was a kid, I went to one of these shows. You were the DJ. Wow. In fact, you had the first rock. You were, he was like the Alan Freed of right. Massachusetts. Right. I said, where did you, where did you find, where was that music coming from? He said, well, as a DJ, mostly you did dances and you had a radio show. Right. And at the dances, girlfriends of groups would give, my boyfriend's seat, <laughs> my boyfriend's. <laughs> 45 right, RPM right, record. Right, and I right. did that too. We, we, sure. we recorded a record. I think we made eight copies. But it went on the air, you know. Yeah, well, linoleum. <laughs> you know, we were called the Cupids. So, in a way, uh, to move from, from, you know, rock and roll into string band music was, was really more about bringing, uh, bringing the vocals forward and the beautiful sound of acoustic guitar. Right. I just, couldn't get enough of that. And my uncle played a ukulele, and my my great uncle played a, a, a guitar. But uh, did you hear Elvis too along the way at some point? Oh, oh God, yeah. I mean, Elvis was God. Where El- did you see him? Oh, I didn't see Elvis. No, oh, not until he was on listening. TV. Yeah. You know, and I was looking. You know, I, I had insomnia last night. I was watching the TV here. You know, the Christian stations are selling Elvis gospel music. And it looks like it was made after his death because they've got the people from the Statesman Quartet, all these older white gospel groups from the South. And it's films of Elvis singing, like, casually with these guys. And he, his heart was really in the gospel music. Yeah. Did you... Okay, so... Let me ask you, how the hell did you get an audition with Bill Monroe? You had only been what, early twenties, right? Yeah, I I was uh, I was about twenty or twenty one, and uh, Bill Keith, the fantastic genius banjo player, had been a bluegrass boy and gone with Bill and recorded with him, and his trademark tunes were "The Devil's Dream." And a sailor's hornpipe, sure. which he played in a chromatic, a very unusual and highly developed chromatic way. And Bill loved him. Uh, uh, Bill Keith left Monroe in New York when when Bill wanted to play the Hoot Nanny Show, who had blackballed Pete Seeger. Right. And Bill Keith said, I, "If I wasn't for Pete Seeger, I wouldn't play the banjo." Huh. And so he said, "I, I can't play Hoot Nanny." Wow. So he left the band. And uh, so that's I, a principled stand. Yeah, yeah, he took a stand. So I was playing mandolin with with uh, Bill Keith and Jim Rooney, and uh, Keith called me up and he said, "Ralph has asked me to put together a band because Bill's coming up and doing three solo dates. He's playing a fiddle date in Vermont, and and da da da. And they said we're going to play. Uh, it's either uh, big hall at Harvard or the Symphony Hall." was basically Doc Watson and Bill Monroe, and it was Doc's birthday. Wow. And they were doing a concert, right? So there were these other dates. Sure. And um, so he hired, uh, he, he said, uh, would you, I'm, I'm putting a band together, do you want to play guitar? And he said, you can't play mandolin because Bill plays mandolin. And I'm like, yeah, I think I got that. Right, right. right. <laughs> I said sure, and he said, and he said another thing. Don't call me Bill when we work with Bill. He said, call me by my middle name, Bradford. So Bill Keith's show name in a, as a bluegrass boy was Brad Keith <laughs> because you can't have two Bills in Bill's band. Right. Another thing. I, I another new thing I learned. Right? Yeah. You know. So we did uh, we did three shows in New England, and I was, you know, did was did you get much rehearsal? Mm, not a whole lot. It's just that like I, well, we went over the songs. Yeah. yeah. But Bill was one of those guys. It was like, I, I know you've heard this expression: "Don't leave all the good notes in the dressing room." <laughs> you know. I mean, Bill. He Bill always would warm up with a tune or two. You know. Right. But he he not even finish the tune. He might just play his solo and then go and tune quietly by himself. Right. But one thing that I, I I wrote a song when I was with him called "The Walls of Time." And it, it was based on a melody that he had, and then I added all these words. The walls of time are partly the image of how nostalgia reaches backwards. 
but it also has a kind of a shadow, it ca- or, or I would say a light that it casts forward, uh, so to speak. It's a, me- a metaphorical thing that nostalgia, bluegrass has a lot of nostalgia in it, but it has it in a way that it projects a... It projects something that transcends time. So the walls of time were both the, the sort of the veils of the mystery of bluegrass and how it came about, what Bill used to call the ancient tones. You know, he those are his words. You know, the, the keening sound. Keening is what people do at a, at a wake. Right. You know, and he's, he's saying that, that there's a keening sound in bluegrass. It's like... Listen, we're talking about, you know, we're talking we're cradle to the grave kind of. Yeah. But the afterlife, too. The, the Christian hymns promise a, a, like a right. transcendent kind of a thing. And in bluegrass, with all those four-part harmonies and just, just shimmering, beautiful sounds, uh, it... it it gave me a sense of the walls of time, but also when I first played with Bill, he'd stand 15 feet away and he'd, he'd chop on that mandolin. He'd chunk the rhythm. Right. That's the wall of time right, right there, baby. Right, That's right, solid. Right. It cut through everything and pulled the time together. Right. Because a lot of bluegrass, by folks wanting to play bluegrass, it's funny, bluegrass is, for bluegrass people, you sort of never get enough of wanting to learn, wanting to play bluegrass. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you play it, but what you're doing is trying to trying to actually play bluegrass, and it never seems right, right? But when it's right, then you're like really right in the sink, and that's what happened when I worked with when uh, Garcia and Vassar Clemens and David was kind of pulling together these disparate disparate uh, uh, strains of. Of, of music, Vassar's whole history with Bill Monroe, uh, David and Mai's history, and uh, and uh, Garcia's absolute buoyant sort of vibe, you know, uh, that 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 was the space in which we we found the freedom to to kind of you know, even though we were. David talked about it as the quest, the original bluegrass quest. Is the doing of bluegrass is not the you're not playing the end result of the doing. You're playing the beginning of the aspiration to play bluegrass. That's why it always sounds so fresh. It's it's odd. It's weird. You know. It's like we think of a music as oh you're accomplished at this. You do this. I play the blues. I play blues. I play bluegrass. No, bluegrass is. Really, in the metaphorical sense, is the what happens when you try and reach for that depth of the ancient tones. Mm-hmm. Then bluegrass happens, because you, and you've got all these five instruments, you know. And uh, so, yeah, we got there with old Miller Way, but you know, with Bill, I just I just think of something real quick. I'm so loving this conversation, Peter. Is that when you were talking about that? the nostalgic look to the future. Um, I remember the great wavy gravy line, I'm nostalgic for the future. <laughs> well, that comes from a scientist, actually. Yeah. The nostalgic nostalgia for the future, that's the guy who made the geodesic domes. Buckmaster Hill. Yeah, he said that, nostalgia for the really? future. Really? Yeah, where that I was just from. talking to a guy about the geodesic domes this morning. Interesting. Yeah. Take what you've gathered from coincidence. Tell us when you were with Olden in the way, the dead were really popular. I mean, not as popular as they eventually became. But it seemed like, and I think I read an interview with you, it was almost like a vacation for Garcia. Yeah. To get away from yeah. the whole yeah. rock stardom thing. Right. You know, it was refreshing. And if had Grisman and I had been a little more conscientious about our roles... Well, we wouldn't have done our own thing that much. We would have, would, Olden in the Way would have become an institution um, that would be there for Jerry. And uh, because the mountain girl, his, his long-time wife and mother, his children, at the time, you know, she, would, she said, you don't know how much this means to Jerry. Olden in the Way. 
Robert Mueller and national security agencies warn that foreign governments will engage in massive election hacking in 2020, and the state's election systems are wide open. Mitch McConnell is blocking legislation that would secure our election systems. 25 to 30 nationwide protests are scheduled around the country on the Secure Our Vote Day of Action, September 17th. We need you to join us Tuesday, September 17th at noon in front of Senator Amy Klobuchar's office building. A representative from Senator Klobuchar's office and an expert on election system vulnerabilities will speak. Even though Minnesota's election system is relatively secure, no election system is unhackable, and other states are not prepared. Experts say we only have a few months to get these funds released in time for states to complete upgrades by the 2020 election. We must act now, so let's protest and send Moscow Mitch a message on Tuesday, September 17th at noon in front of Senator Klobuchar's office building. It's located at 1200 South Washington Avenue in Minneapolis to demand secure elections. More details at secureourvote.us. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Join us for New Beginnings, Saturday mornings at 11, brought to you in part by Vision Loss Resources. With my busy schedule with the colder months finally here, Rudy Luther Toyota saves me time, money, and hassle. A great example, the Luther Advantage card. With every new and used vehicle purchased, you'll get three years of $0.10 off per gallon of gas at Holiday Station stores and $5 off the works car washes. The Luther Advantage card keeps you happy while saving you money. It really helps me out, and with my hectic fall family schedule, I really appreciate it. Find out all the benefits yourself at Rudy Luther Toyota, 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. My part-time service in the Army National Guard makes it possible for me to be more for the community I call home. I'm a better neighbor because my service has taught me how important it is to be a team player. My training helps me in my classes when I give attention to detail to the task at hand. My service also allows me to be there for my community in ways others can't. I help my hometown recover after nature strikes. My service in the Army National Guard allows me to keep my country and those I care about safe from threats. I also work with a network of professionals that help me succeed. Also, the Army National Guard's education benefits make getting a higher education a reality. Being an Army National Guard soldier makes living and serving in my community more rewarding every day. Learn more about how you too can live and serve part-time close to home by visiting NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Minnesota Army National Guard. Aired by the Minnesota Broadcasters Association and this station. Welcome back to the Wall and Power Radio Hour set for, this is your host, Paul Metza. A little bit more with our guest, Peter Rowan. I've been going over to uh, the Hawaiian Islands for the past few years, for really for my health. Um, it's nice to be in a climate where the water and the air and your, your body temperature are within 10 degrees of each other. <laughs> That's kind of a pleasant feeling. <laughs> it's a great way of looking at yeah. it. Yeah. But, I, you know, I've fallen in with the, some of the local players there. Now, I went, you know, historically, Jimmy Rogers, some of his great recordings in the 20s were with Hawaiian musicians. Mm-hmm. Joe Kaipo. Uh, steel play. Basically, they played steel on acoustic guitar. So, you know, one of the sounds of the 20s where Bill Monroe was picking up as a teenager on stuff was Hawaiian-influenced music. Now, Bill Monroe wrote a song called uh, Kentucky Waltz. Well, in 1916, when Bill was only three years old, that song was uh, recorded in Hawaii. 
and it's Puelia. It's Puelia. It's called. It's a. It's about a flower, of course. And it was done by. Um, oh, I can't remember, but it was an original Hawaiian song. Da 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 da. da. So there was a Hawaiian recording, and the guy played mandolin on the recording, and he played just like Bill was going to play 30 years later. I mean, with this sense, it was a waltz, but he's playing triplets. You know, and uh, when I heard that over there in Hawaii, it just it it blew my mind because the people we were hanging with, the Hawaiian musicians were going. Oh yeah, man! You, you're steeped in this lore of Bill Monroe, who was, was came from Jimmy Rogers, and Jimmy Rogers had ukuleles and slide guitars in his band. So I started writing songs. I wrote one about Jerry Garcia called "Jerry in the Deep Blue Sea," and I have this. I'm going to give you this. I got one copy with me. Oh, I love it. Oh man, it's a, it. it is killer. It's called "My Aloha," and uh, it's what ten or eleven new songs played with the, what Jimmy Rogers would have played with, wow. ukulele and slide guitar, but from the Hawaiian point of view. Right. And when these guys, I was really, you know, every time I get into these things, I'm a little unsure, you know? Right. And these guys, well, the one one the ukulele player just said, said, I think you're writing Hawaiian music now. And I said, well, man, if you think that's what I'm doing, wow. I'm okay with that. So I, I kind of got the green light. And I started putting in these chord changes that are everything that's missing from bluegrass. Bluegrass is one, four, five. Right. Uh, and even it's simpler than that, in a way. Right. But, uh, you know, I'm going to be recording some bluegrass for Rebel Records. And it's just one, four, five. But I'm, I'm, uh, there's, there's one song that has a two minor. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to have that in there, <laughs> written by Bob Dylan. <laughs> wow! But uh, so no, my my new thing, and it's just coming out now, uh, is uh, my Aloha. And you know, for my voice, it's it's the perfect place. You don't have to push hard to crack the yodel. Right. You can sing falsetto in this music. Right. And that's what Bill did. That he so that was another influence that he never talked about. But he Monroe always talked about. My other music, and we'd be going. It was like a guessing game. Right. I said, "Whoa, what? What is it like?" And he'd go, "Well, you know, it might have a, a slide guitar, but not a dobro." <laughs> I mean, what's he talking about? He said, uh, "You know, the little instruments. Uh, what are they called?" And he knew exactly. Right. It's like uh, three syllables, uh, four syllables, ukulele. <laughs> you know. And uh, that was a game he played with his band. Right. And he was basically talking about a huge influence on him that he never, ever went public to talk about. Uh, the mellifluousness uh, of so many influences. But Bill, ma- Bill made his own music. That's the thing. Pete, I've had to keep it as much out of bluegrass yes, as I've kept in it. That was that was brilliant. You know, he was being honest. <laughs> and, that, and he said he would say, he said, "You know, I would never steal another man's note, <laughs> but I might write one song of another." <laughs> now, have you ever done a presentation with your songs and these stories? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing that more and more. I'm playing a lot of solo gigs where, where I am sort of a, a historic narrator. Yeah, because you know. I mean you're, you're perfect for it. You're, you're there. Yeah, I'd like to find. I, in terms of presenting it live, uh, I suppose small theaters would be the best right. thing. You know, there's always this rock and roll thing going on too. You know, like tonight with Big Woo. I don't know if the audience would be quiet enough for me to tell a story. Right. You know, it's going to be pretty much energy, yeah. energy, energy. And and so that's always been the push-pull in this whole scenario, this whole career right. of, you know, you got to, as the English say, give it the stick, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably a farming term. Right. <laughs> Whack right. the bullock. <laughs> Well, you're a survivor, and you're and you're thriving, and uh, 
you, you've told me stories I would never have heard unless I sat down and talked with Peter Ron. Right. Um, I look forward to hearing the record. Thanks, man. I, you have a great gig tonight. I've got a few things for you. Um, that's just really beautiful. Tell people, you're, I know you're also, a, I don't know if you're practicing or a lamps, but you're a Buddhist. Tell people really simply in 25 words or less your approach to life. Well, you know, the only difference between meditating and not meditating is is this fundamental ignorance of knowing or thinking that you're not meditating. <laughs> because there is nothing else going on <laughs> but meditation. You know, you can sit down and kind of like, you know, get in the groove of it, right? That's always helpful, but... Sometimes there's no time, and uh, you've just somehow got to be in that presence of, of mind. And uh, I don't know if it's, it's less a force of will than it is being decisive about the moment of what you might call illumination. I'm going swimming in the deep blue sea. Just these lonely waves and me Deep down in the blue Pacific glow It's only a matter of time Till you'll be mine At least that's how the story goes. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This show was produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Paul Sowey. We'd like to thank our guest, Peter Rowan. More on Peter at peter-rowan.com. Get his great new record, My Aloha, at omnivorecordings.com. This show was dedicated to the memory of the late, great Jim Fave, who passed away on May 21st, 2017. And like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.